All right, well, this morning, uh, I just wanted to begin with some prayer. Um, like Steph mentioned, our brothers and sisters at Elam Church are having their last service this morning as they anticipate coming uh, and joining us next weekend, and we're really excited uh, to welcome them into our community. But with something being the last, if you've been through something that's had a last, you know that there are a lot of emotions that go on with that. And these are emotions that God has given us, and also we serve a God who meets us in those emotions. Um, and so would you join me? Let's pray, not only for our time together, but let's pray uh, for our brothers and sisters at Elam. Would you join me? Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you that you are a God who does new things. Um, we thank you that you're a God who's been doing a work here in Northeast Minneapolis long before Mill City started, long before Elam started. Uh, Jesus, you were here. And Lord, we thank you that you are going to continue to do work as we join together as a community. God, we just think of Elam right now. We think of our brothers and sisters who are worshiping there. We just pray that you would be close to them this morning. We pray over their worship team. We pray over their pastors as they speak. We pray that it is a celebration, that it is a meaningful time of gathering together and remembering who you are and celebrating all that you've done and all that you will continue to do. Jesus, we also pray over our time together as a church. Would you open our eyes as we read your word? Would you guide us closer to your heart? We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, do you remember your first experience of snow? Well, for me, one of my earliest memories of snow was 25 years ago when my family moved from India to, of all places, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Talk about a climate difference. I remember it snowed and snowed and snowed. And my mom took my brother and I, we were toddlers at the time, and she bundled us up and she sent us outside into the snow. Now at that time, we didn't have an electric snowblower. We didn't have an electric shovel. We didn't even have a shovel. And so what happened was my dad took a dustpan and he dug out the snow the best he could. And my mom sent my brother and I out with plastic lids from our toy bins, and we cleared the snow away from the door. In my mind, we were really productive, but you should ask my parents about that. Snow was magical. Snow was fun. And some of my sweetest memories as a kid have been in the snow. Moving from India to the U.S. was a new beginning for our family. And I could not have imagined what God would be inviting us into now, all the way back when we moved to the States. This was a new beginning. And this morning, we're starting a series called New Beginnings. In our family life ministry, we talk to our kids about the big God story. And this is the story we find woven throughout the Old and the New Testament, and a story we're part of today. And throughout God's story, we see moments where God invites God's people into new beginnings. Now, these aren't moments where the story starts over, but rather where a new chapter begins in the lives of God's people. Now, we've all experienced or will experience new beginnings. Can you think of a moment where you began a new chapter? Sometimes it's relational. I met a friend or we got married. We adopted our child. Sometimes it's vocational. I started that job. I decided to retire. I began middle school. Or as soon as the kids left home, I decided to pursue further education. Sometimes it's geographical. I know after this week, I've started to pray, Lord, is there a new beginning somewhere warmer that I could go? 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> Even as a church, we are about to experience a new beginning. Next week, we're going to welcome Elam Church into our community. It's a new chapter as we look forward to the bigger and better things that God could do in our community and in Northeast Minneapolis. Now, no matter what new beginning God is inviting us into, there are two things that will always be true. First, new beginnings, although very exciting, are going to involve hard things. Sometimes the new beginning is hard itself. I think of those who have become empty nesters. Yes, that's exciting, but adjusting to the new normal can be tough. I think of graduating college and realizing that there are a bunch of questions that my classes didn't even prepare me for that I now have to answer. I think of those who started a new job or decided to transition into retirement. What happens when the excitement wears off and the daily rhythms start to set in? New beginnings involve hard things. But the second thing that is true about new beginnings is that the Holy Spirit is with us as we step into those new beginnings. The Holy Spirit empowers us to step into these new chapters of life. Yes, things will be hard, but we are not alone. God is with us. So this series, we're going to be looking at new beginnings through the lens of the book of Acts, a book that, in my opinion, contains the most profound new beginning in the history of the world. It's where we move from the greatest story ever told, which is the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to the greatest new beginning that unfolds, which is the Spirit's creation and empowerment of this new community that's called the church. So in Acts, there are a host of hard things that the disciples are invited into. Yet the Spirit, time and time again, is present and equips them to handle the new beginning that God has invited them into. Today, specifically, we're going to look at a hard moment. Specifically, what happens when the new beginning starts with waiting? Talk about two words that carry different momentum. You have new beginnings and you have waiting. And what I hope we'll take from the passage this morning is that the Holy Spirit can use the waiting to prepare us to participate in God's mission. The Holy Spirit uses the waiting to prepare us to participate in God's mission. So this morning we're going to read from Acts chapter 1. This book was written by Luke, who's the same writer of the Gospel of Luke, which is the third book in the New Testament. In fact, Luke and Acts are considered part one and part two of Luke's story. And in Acts chapter 1, we see the difference between both these books. Verse 1 says Luke is all about what Jesus began to do and began to teach. And Acts is all about what Jesus continues to do through the presence of the Holy Spirit with his disciples. Some people call this book the Acts of the Apostles. But I think a better title for this book is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is really the main character that's with the disciples as they step into this new beginning. So with this in mind, would you join me? Let's read Acts chapter 1. The verse will be on the screen behind me here. So Acts chapter 1 begins, In my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus just means one who loves God. So that could have been a person. That could be in reference to this community. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach 
until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Luke starts where he left off. Kind of like a new season in a TV series. Luke's like previously on the Gospel of Luke. We find Jesus after the resurrection talking with the disciples, being with them, opening up their eyes to the kind of king Jesus was and the kind of kingdom Jesus would bring. Luke writes that Jesus did this over the course of 40 days. Now, a little Bible tangent. You'll see the number 40 happen throughout Scripture. For example, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Or Jesus fasted for 40 days. Now, whenever you see the number 40, it's usually used by the authors to represent a time specifically for instruction and preparation. So next time you read your Bible, when you see the number 40, good questions to ask are, God, what are you teaching this person in that season? Or, God, how are you using this period of time to prepare your people? Luke uses 40 to refer to Jesus using this period of time to instruct the disciples. Even in this period of instruction, Jesus outlines the new beginning that he invites the disciples into. This is the next chapter. Jesus says in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was the new beginning. This was the new chapter that Jesus invited the disciples into. One commentator says that while Jesus didn't immediately restore the kingdom to Israel, which is what the disciples were asking, what Jesus does is he restores Israel's original vocation. In Genesis, we see that Israel is supposed to be a blessing to the nations. And this is what Jesus invites the disciples into. You are now going to be a light to the world. You get to be the blessing to the nations. You get to bear witness to my kingdom. 
Can you imagine what it would have been like to be the disciples in that moment? Your king, this dear friend, is alive. The teachings are fresh on your mind. The kingdom is here. It feels like the band is back together. And if I'm the disciples, my thought is, well, let's get going. There's a lot of momentum going here. Let's seize that momentum and move. Matthew and Mary will put together the strategic five-year plan. And Peter and John can manage the social media. Here's a selfie of Jesus eating fish. And Andrew can put together the three-day conference. Come, let's keep the momentum. Let's seize this momentum. Let's move. But what is Jesus' ask in the midst of all this perceived momentum? Verse 4 seems like the opposite of what I would want to hear. Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. When I first heard it, it felt like a slam on the brakes. Like I could smell the burning rubber as I heard the screeching stop. Wait? Right now, wait? When you hear that word or when you've heard that word in the past, how does that make you feel inside? If new beginnings are full of momentum, waiting can feel like the exact opposite. Waiting can feel wasteful. Someone once told me that waiting is the wasteful pause between important moments in their life. Waiting can also feel messy. It can be a time of sitting in the uncertainty and the loss. Think of the disciples. Their leader had just left. And what happened when that adrenaline wore off? What happened when they had to sit in the reality that their leader is gone again? What happened when they had to sit in the reality that they're missing Judas? Not Judas in the passage, but Judas, their friend who shared in their ministry, who would go on to betray them and then take his own life. As they waited, did they experience fear when they realized that Jesus asked them to wait in the same city that they had just seen Jesus killed in? And those leaders are still in power and may be out to kill them as well. Waiting is uncomfortable. Waiting seems powerless. Waiting is tough. Yet throughout the, new, the story of God, new beginnings are often accompanied by times of waiting. For example, take Abraham and Sarah in the story of Genesis. Some of us who are reading the Bible in a year plan just read through their story where God promises them a son. And what is in three chapters is actually years of waiting before Abraham and Sarah see that promise fulfilled. Or I think of King David later in the Old Testament where he's anointed king as a young boy and God says, this is who you are going to be. But he has to wait decades before that mission actually comes to pass. Or think of the two people in this first chapter. You have Mary, Jesus' mother, who not only had to wait nine months for the Messiah of the world to form within her, but when she was told about Jesus' birth, the angel said, this is Jesus, he will rule on David's throne and he will rule over an everlasting kingdom. And Mary had watched Jesus' ministry. She had seen her son die. She had welcomed him as he came back to life. Was she still waiting for this everlasting kingdom? Was she with the disciples when they asked, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Or I think of Peter. Jesus had told him, upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. But Jesus had come and gone, and Peter's still waiting for that new beginning to unfold. As I read this passage, I asked, well, 
Jesus, why didn't you just give the Spirit to the disciples then? They were all gathered on the Mount of Olives. There was all this momentum, and you could send them to Jerusalem, just give them the Spirit. And it forced me to ask, Jesus, was there a purpose to the waiting? Was there a reason that you invited the disciples to wait? I think that question of purpose is a question that we all have faced or will face at some point in our lives. When God's given us a vision or placed desires on our heart, or we feel like God has promised something, yet it feels so far away. When we're waiting for something or we're waiting with someone, it's fair to ask, is there a purpose to all this waiting? The waiting can feel like an obstacle, a barrier. Yet the Bible reminds us that we serve a God who can make meaning out of the waiting. A spirit that can use the slowing down to form us and prepare us for the immeasurably more that the new beginning has in store. This God who can make meaning out of the waiting, the God who slows us down in order to form us and prepare us, this is the one who invites the disciples to wait. So was there a purpose to the waiting? Well, we read the purpose to the waiting was so that they would wait for the gift that the Father had promised. I wonder if the waiting was a reminder to the disciples that the success of this new beginning would not be due to their own power and their own strength, but would be due to God's power and strength. You will be my witnesses throughout the world. This new beginning was huge. Did the disciples even comprehend how crazy this would be, what this would involve? When I read this passage, wait is not an invitation to uncertainty or an obstacle or a barrier. Wait is an invitation to trust and surrender to God's timing and strength. They were waiting for the gift God had promised. And I wonder if that waiting drew them closer to God. I also wonder if the waiting allowed them space to grow as a community. If we continue in Acts chapter 1, we find that Peter stepped into a new leadership role as they discern who's going to fill our community. Would that leadership role have happened if Jesus had not left? Would Peter have stepped up if there wasn't this time of waiting? I also wonder if the waiting gave the disciples time to process and attend to their trauma. Ephesians 3 reminds us that the Spirit works gently within us. When Jesus asked them to wait, did that offer them the gentle space to heal? I mean, think about the disciples. They had just seen their king leave. They didn't know when he was going to come back. They had just seen a friend take their own life. There was a lot of grief and loss that they were experiencing. And there would be a lot of grief and loss they would experience as they stepped into the new beginning. They would be beaten. They would be imprisoned. One of them would be shipwrecked, and most of them would give their lives. Did this time of waiting give them the space to process and heal before they stepped into the new beginning? Throughout Scripture, we see that the waiting isn't wasted, but that the Holy Spirit uses the waiting to prepare us to participate in God's mission. Now, when I was first given this passage to preach on, I was a little confused as to why am I preaching on waiting? Why is this verse sticking out, God? And so what I did was I journaled, Lord, what are you saying to Mill City? And oftentimes when I journal, it's not like I hear an audible voice from God, God saying, this is exactly what you are going to say. But I get an impression on my heart. This is what I feel like you're leading me to say. So why did the waiting come up? 
Well, next week at Mill City, we're preparing to welcome a whole community into our church. And this is not temporary. This is a for good change. We've discerned together Elam and Mill City, and we've come to the conclusion that we believe that we can serve God better together than apart. We believe that there's a bigger vision that God has for Northeast Minneapolis, and that involves both of us coming together. And when I think of waiting, it felt like God was saying, these next few months are going to feel like waiting. These next few months are going to involve some hard things. I mean, it's an exciting new beginning, but physically we'll be waiting. We'll be waiting as we worship at Las Estrellas and as we wait to move to a new location. There'll be a time of waiting there. But I also think emotionally and relationally. Yes, it's an exciting new beginning, but now comes the hard part of forming relationships. Now comes the hard part of actually discerning together, of being a community that's flexible and adaptable that allows new stories to come in and actually change us and shape us. When I ask God, what are you saying? What could this waiting be used for? How could this prepare our community? The two words that came to mind are hospitality and empathy. Could God use this time of waiting, these next few months, to grow a posture of humility in us and a posture of hospitality? Sometimes I think, well, God, I don't have time to have any more friends. But God's like, here are the friends. You have no choice. They're coming. Could this time be used to prepare a posture of hospitality in us? And I also think of a posture of empathy. Would we be people that grow in holding grief and loss together? Would we be people that grow in holding others' stories of saying, I notice what God is doing in your life, and that's cool, and I want to be behind that. I believe that God is using the season of waiting these next few months, is going to use this waiting to prepare us to participate in this new beginning that I don't think we even comprehend how cool this new beginning is going to be. And I know God uses the waiting communally, and I know God uses the waiting in our own personal lives as well. The Holy Spirit can use the waiting to prepare us to participate in God's mission. So how do we navigate the waiting? Well, as we end, I just wanted to focus on how do, how do we actually walk through the waiting? Well, what did the disciples do in Acts? We read in verse 14, it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer. This is a theme we see throughout the book of Acts, especially in the waiting when they have questions or need direction, they gather in prayer. Friends, waiting was not meant to be done alone. Yet waiting can often be one of the most isolating seasons in our lives. Especially in Minnesota in the winter, if our waiting lines up with that, it's cold, it's dark, and everyone is stuck in their own homes. Waiting can be lonely, and waiting can be messy. There's a lie sometimes that you have to be perfect in order to be a part of a community. And waiting is inviting someone into that imperfection. That's vulnerable. That takes courage. Yet the only way that we can navigate the times of waiting is by doing this together in prayer. These practices are near to God's heart for us. I love what author Emily P. Freeman writes about waiting. She says, God would be delighted to know that the decision we are carrying is moving us toward community and not away from it. And it is leading us to depend on others more and not less that it is turning our face towards God's in a posture of listening with the hopeful expectation of receiving an answer. 
So this could be gathering together like what we're doing on a Sunday morning. This could be going out to coffee with a friend or a five-minute phone call. And just to clarify, this is not just joining together. I do that when I play Mario Kart. I join together. This is joining together in prayer. This is intentionally gathering with those around you, those you trust, and placing yourself in the presence of God and saying, God, help me be honest about the times of waiting in my life and open my eyes to the ways that you are preparing me in this season. This is putting yourself in the presence of God and listening to God's voice or just being still. And so as we end today, instead of giving you this practice and saying, okay, now go and do this, we're actually going to do this all together. We are a little bit more than the 120 that are in the book of Acts. But together, I wanted to give us time to reflect on where we're waiting and practice joining together and listening in prayer. And so when you walked in, you should have received a piece of paper. And if you haven't, you can raise your hand. There are people in the back. They'll, they'll come and, and give you an index card uh, and a pen. And here's how this is going to work. I've put together a prayer from different passages of Scripture. And we're going to read this as a liturgy. So I'll read the non-bolded part. And then where it says all, you'll, you'll read that part. So I'll read the non-bolded part, and you'll read the bolded part. And after each section, there's going to be a question and an invitation to pause and reflect. Pause and listen to God's voice and say, God, what are you saying about this question in my life? Now, these questions are about, are about the personal seasons of waiting. These questions are about who we could potentially invite into that season of waiting. And these questions are about how is God preparing our community to wait? And that's what this index card is for. At that final section, we'll ask a question, God, how are you preparing our community in this next season? And if you feel God place a prayer for our community on your heart, would you write that down on that index card? And once you write that prayer down on that index card, you can come up there, baskets at the front here, there are these gray baskets, and you can put that index card in that basket as you come up and take communion. And what we'll do is, as a staff, we'll take all these prayers and we'll put them together. And would they be a reminder to our community, this is what God said when we got together and listened. These are maybe the ways that God is preparing us in these next few months, especially as we step into this new beginning of inviting a new community into our church. So I'll read the non-bolded parts, you read the bolded parts. Whether you're online or in person, let's join together in prayer. So Holy Spirit, would you guide our time this morning? We come to you. We're still. We want to listen to your voice. And here's how we'll begin our liturgy. Jesus, we begin with the first words you thought your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pause to listen to you, Emmanuel, God with us in the new beginnings and times of waiting in our lives. Let's just pause for a moment. God, our strength and shield, 
Jesus, our saving refuge and friend, spirit of peace. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help. To the one who hears and sees, the one who is close to the brokenhearted, to the one who reveals all things in time. God, where am I waiting? Where can I invite you into that waiting? Take a moment to pause and reflect on that question. O God, the everlasting creator, Jesus, the lifter of the lowly, spirit, a constant companion. On our own, we grow tired and weary. On our own, we grow faint. To the one who stepped into our brokenness, the one who walks with us and invites us to walk alongside others. God, who will wait with me? Who do I need to wait with? Take a moment and pause and reflect. O God of mercy and grace, Jesus, the cornerstone of your church, spirit who equips your people, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we wait on you. To the one who can do immeasurably more in the church, to the one who brought together Elam Church and Mill City Church into one body, the one who loves Northeast Minneapolis, and is doing a new thing. Spirit, how can we wait as a community? How are you preparing us to participate in your mission? I'd encourage you to just sit with that question for a little bit. And if you feel like God has placed a prayer for our community on your heart, would you write that down and then you can come up during this final time of worship and drop it in the basket as you take communion. But this next song talks 
about waiting. And it talks about how we serve a God who is good and a God who gives us strength in the midst of that waiting, a God who can use that waiting to prepare us for the new beginnings that God invites us into. And so as we worship together, would we remember who God is? Would we remember what God has done? And would we remember that we have a spirit who is with us in the new beginnings and the times of waiting? Amen.